A massive new warehouse is coming to Northeast Portland in an area that's already choked with diesel pollution. It also happens to be just across a major street from a high school with one of the most diverse student populations in the state. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, Gosha Vozniatska, environmental justice reporter for the Oregonian and Oregon Live. Gosha joined the paper in recent weeks, but you may recognize her byline. She covered immigration and Latino affairs for the paper from 2006 to 2010, and has worked for a number of outlets since then. We talked about environmental justice, why she focused on one project in Northeast Portland, and what it says about the broader effort in Portland to focus on equity and just how far we have to go. Here's that conversation. Gosha, thanks for joining the show, and welcome back to The Oregonian. Thank you. So you rejoined the paper as an environmental justice reporter. And before we hop into examining your latest story, can you just explain what environmental justice is and why you wanted to pursue this specific beat? Yeah, of course. So environmental justice at the basics is uh, about how climate change and legacy environmental issues impact uh, vulnerable communities. And when I say vulnerable communities, I mean communities of color, indigenous communities, immigrants, refugees, and also uh, low-income people and seniors. So that's a nice setup to your first uh, big, what we call in the business enterprise piece. Um, You know, a piece with some meat on it that's a really interesting story in our community. Can you tell us about how a distribution center in Northeast Portland got on your radar and why you wanted to do this specific story? Yeah, so I uh, first heard uh, about a warehouse uh, coming in uh, uh, into the Park Rose neighborhood from Commissioner Jayapal um, from in Multnomah County. Mm-hmm. And I uh, thought that it would make for a good story because it's a, an area that already is surrounded by industry. Um, it's uh, hemmed in by uh, 205 and I-84. So it's an area with a lot of pollution. And it's in outer northeast Portland uh, where... Uh, most of the people are low income, where half of the population is uh, people of color, and there's a large percentage of immigrants as well in that community. So it's uh, what's known and uh, as an overburdened community. There's a US EPA definition around that, um, but it's basically a, a, a community uh, of color, a low income community that already has a high uh, burden of pollution. And obviously the Park Rose piece of that, there's Park Rose High School, uh, which uh, is kind of where in relation to this piece of property that you wrote about. Yeah, so that was the other interesting thing about this proposed warehouse is that it's on the former Kmart uh, lot. Um, some folks may be familiar with the that Kmart store because it was around for about 50 years. Mm. And uh, that property is directly across from the fields of Park Rose High School. Park Rose Middle School is pretty close by. Um, on the other uh, side of the Kmart property are several uh, apartment housing complexes um, where a lot of low-income folks and seniors live. So it's in a very uh, residential part of uh, Argate Terrace. Uh, it's not on the other side of the tracks and Sandy Boulevard, where typically um, the industrial zone is located. It's actually on the residential side. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because this is an area of town, you know, there's there's a 
cluster of industrial warehouse uses for miles, right? I mean, it's close to the mm-hmm. airport and um, exactly. you've got those big thoroughfares. Is that kind of why that's why we see that type of business out there? Yeah. And that area where the Kmart is, it used to be a zone commercial, but it was rezoned by the city a few years ago to light industrial uh, slash employment. So it's uh, they rezoned it to, to attract more um, industry um, to that area. Uh, and but but it's because it's already close to the um, industrial zone. Okay, so the Kmart had been closed for a number of years by this point, right? And um, you know, kind of came into Portland's consciousness recently due to it being, I guess, for lack of a better word, like the arena for a a clash between you know Proud Boys and uh, other ant, you know counter protesters, right? Exactly. So that lot has been empty since uh, 2018 when the Kmart uh, was shuttered. And uh, since then, it's, yeah, it was the stage for that clash between Proud Boys and anti-fascists. It also served as a COVID-19 vaccine clinic and also was a space um, for Park Rose High School students when one of their classmates brought a loaded gun to school and that's where they gathered on that lot. So it's had a few occasional uses during the time um, that it was uh, uh, that the store was closed. But uh, other than that, it's been pretty much empty, desolate and waiting for the next idea. So that next idea you wrote about is this um, distribution center. Who, who's behind it? And, you know, why is this something that school officials and some neighbors are worried about? Yeah, so it's uh, the Property itself is owned by something that's called RFC Joint Venture, which is actually part of a New Jersey development company called Garden Homes. And Garden Homes is owned by a very wealthy family, the Wilf family, including Minnesota Vikings owner Zygmunt Wilf. Um, so it's got some interesting ownership. And no the, kidding. Uh, yeah, Garden Homes and the Wilf family are leasing that property to Prologis. And Prologis is uh, a San Francisco-based uh warehouse developer. It's one of the largest uh, warehouse developers in the world. So it's kind of a big company. Uh, And Prologis already has a bunch of warehouses around Portland, so they're not new to our city. Okay, so your piece is really fascinating because it delves into not just the environmental aspect, which we'll get to as well here momentarily, um, which obviously is why you wrote about it as the environmental justice reporter. But these types of facilities are really popping up all over the place, right? And that's because people are sitting at home ordering stuff online. Right. Yeah, there's a real boom uh, for warehouses because of the growth in online shopping. So we're all kind of responsible for it. But um, yeah, I mean, these warehouses, they want to be kind of close to residential areas because they're delivering goods to our doors. So um, I think it's it's definitely a trend. And there's been a lot of these going in around the country. So what's the issue here? Why Why are people frustrated about this specific um, proposal. Yes. So I need to need to answer that question that you asked before. So as you mentioned, uh, both the school district and neighbors are pretty concerned about um, the proposed warehouse. And for that's because for one, um, 
there's already a lot of traffic um, in that area. It's, as I mentioned, several schools are nearby. And so there's kids walking through the intersections. They come across right next to the warehouse. There's a gas station, several fast food joints where the kids come and buy their lunch during their lunch periods. You know, they walk to school and back home. Um, so the, and, and again, these are already very busy um, intersections and the warehouse would be bringing more trucks to that area, very large trucks likely, it would add to the traffic and safety issues that the air, uh, this neighborhood already is experiencing. Um, and uh, these trucks would add diesel pollution, more diesel pollution to an area that already has a ton of diesel pollution because of the freeways and the industry that surrounds it. So um, both the traffic and the pollution are a, a major concern uh, to the community and to the school officials. So uh, traffic, obviously, this is 122nd Avenue. This is a, a big thoroughfare on both sides of I-84. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it's wide and, and the school is mm -hmm. right there. So this is both a pedestrian safety issue as well as a pollution issue, as you mentioned. Exactly, exactly. And the sad thing is that a lot of people don't seem to even know about this proposal. I went to the Hidden Oaks apartments, which are right next door um, to uh, the former Kmart. And mm. literally there's like a, a wall that separates the apartments from the store, uh, former store. And I knocked on doors and talked to people who were outside and not a single person knew about the warehouse proposal. Partly this is because the prologist didn't have to notify anybody um, about this proposal. So it's only by complete sheer chance that uh, one of the uh, community members who's on the neighborhood association at Argay Terrace uh, looked up, uh, you know, whether there were any forthcoming developments and she saw uh, this and alerted other people. So, you know, the, the regular person who lives at the apartment housing complex has no idea this is coming basically right next to them. Wow. And is that typical for developments like this or is that unusual that, that there's no, you know, prior notice needed? So uh, prologues actually didn't have to notify neighbors. Usually um, when uh, a development meets all development standards, it doesn't need a land use review. And so that does not trigger neighbor notifications, which are typically required with land use reviews. Yeah. So I guess to, to say it simply, you know, this is allowed the city under current rules you know, you can build a massive uh, warehouse, you know, across the street from a high school um, in this yes. case, because the underlying rules of, in Portland, you know, zoning and regulatory uh, legalese say, hey, that's a-okay. Yes, yes. The prologus, I, I do want to be clear, prologus is following all the rules that are uh, currently set out by the city. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So how do uh, clean air advocates, school officials and and others who um, are frustrated about that, how do they view this situation? Because like you said, you know, the city talks about equity a lot being a major focus. And here it is, there's a, a project that will bring, you know, dozens of diesel polluting vehicles into a neighborhood. And, and that's perfectly fine. I mean, what's been the response to all those facts on the ground? Yeah, so I think that became a focus for my article because uh, I realized that, you know, the city has had these equity goals and statements for 
uh, a few years now. Um, they're baked into uh, the city's comprehensive plan, into the city's climate action plan, into several other plans. And they clearly state that, uh, you know, the city has a history of racist land use planning um, mm-hmm. that uh, negatively impacted communities of color um, with uh, negative environmental impacts. And the city should not repeat uh, this type of decision making. In fact, the city should strive to not overburden communities that already uh, bear uh, a disproportionate burden of pollution. What is the city's response to that? Because you spoke to people both in the Bureau of Development Services, that's kind of the the city bureaucratic agency that oversees permitting and things mm-hmm. of that nature, as well as the folks over in the planning division that look more at the at the um, it, well, it's planning and sustainability, right? It's baked into the into the name of the agency yeah. where they're supposed to be looking at uh, long-range plans and how it affects marginalized communities is part of their mission. What do they have to say about this? Yeah, so um, folks at, uh, uh, in the Bureau that approves the building permits were pretty clear. They said they don't have any discretion. They're just following the law, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're following the zoning code. And that zoning code is uh, written by another bureau, um, the Bureau of Planning and Sustainability. So I really focused on that bureau, but since they're responsible for writing uh, the zoning or rewriting the zoning code, um, and uh, and I asked them, you know, why is it that this warehouse is kind of a model of uh, a model example of the type of community that your equity goals say you should protect? from further harm, and yet there is absolutely no discretion uh, to stop this kind of warehouse proposal um, from going forward. There's absolutely, really, absolutely nothing that can be done um, in this case. It just seemed like there was a big discrepancy between uh, the equity aspirations and the actual application, the practice that, that there was really no application or practice. There's really no no regulation at this point. And when I spoke to the Bureau of Planning and Sustainability, the, its deputy director uh, admitted pretty much that uh, that was the case, that the city has these goals, but um, there's nothing behind them at this point. There's no zoning, no regulations, no requirements for developers, nothing to put them into, into action on the ground. And the city said that they are working on, in the future, having such regulations and perhaps changing zoning code um, to be able to have leeway um, mm-hmm. when it comes to development in such communities. But they're at the very, very early stages of that. They're basically researching uh, what other cities have done and what could be useful for Portland, what Portland could pot- potentially adopt um, to to make this work. But um, like I said, they're still at, at the very early um, stages. They don't have a timeline for when they would uh, change you know, zoning code. It goes beyond just all of those issues though, Gosha, right? I mean, this was actually a financial win for Prologis because um, this area right around um, you know, Sandy and 122nd, where this Kmart used to be, is part of a enterprise zone. Can you describe what that is for the uninitiated? Uh, we've talked about it here on the podcast a few times, but it's a good thing if you're a property owner. So that area was added to an enterprise zone uh, a few years ago uh, because basically the city felt like it wanted to add more jobs 
um, and uh, an enterprise zone uh, has some tax breaks. So in this case, um, the company would receive tax breaks for five years uh, for bringing jobs. And this is a mechanism that basically makes uh, development more attractive to companies, but perhaps not to the local residents. Yeah, no kidding. Um, well, let's talk about some of those residents. Uh, can you talk about um, one man you spoke to? That's Jacob Klaselik, um, and kind of how he views this development. Yeah, so Jacob Klaselik, when I knocked on doors at Hidden Oaks, he opened the door and uh, he was very talkative. He has three kids and he said one of his kids has uh, uh, potentially a form of long COVID um, respiratory issues, basically mm. has coughing. And uh, he was really concerned about the warehouse pollution um, because he said that that might further aggravate um the, the respiratory issues of his son. He also said that his kids walk to school every day. And so he was concerned about the additional uh, pollution. Um, he's actually somebody who grew up in that neighborhood in Argay Terrace. Uh, mm. And he said the pollution has gone up significantly. And he really felt like it was something that the city would approve in a neighborhood like Argay Terrace, but would never let happen in more, you know, more wealthier uh, inner city neighborhoods in inner Portland. So let's go back to just the very essence of diesel particulates. Like, what does that do to the human human body? Um, and you know, how are we faring overall in the Portland area in terms of curbing those types of emissions? Yeah. So I mean, diesel is very very toxic. Uh, it's it's a carcinogen. Uh, you know, you've probably seen the the black suit that comes out of some cars, but it can cause a number of diseases from childhood asthma attacks to respiratory diseases to cancer. So it's very harmful and it's especially harmful to kids who take a lot more breaths than adults do. So um, they're just breathing in a lot more uh, of this stuff than adults. And the Portland metro area has uh, the highest diesel concentrations in Oregon. Um, so it's been a standing issue for, uh, for many years here, really, and one that the state really has not addressed um, in, in any uh, plausible way. And again, um, to highlight the issue here with the Park Rose School District, um, there's 3,000 students in the district and 70% of those students are non-white. That's right. 70% of the students are not white and all of the students receive free lunch um, because the poverty rates are so high in the district. Then it's surrounded by freeways and, you know, there are kids who are playing outside on those fields right across from the proposed warehouse. They're, you know, they've got all their sports teams playing outside. So they would be breathing that pollution every day, potentially. As you reported, um, a Portland State University researcher's study uh, found that diesel pollution is four to six times higher um, than, you know, Oregon's, I guess, healthy benchmark um, in and around that area. And that's before this project comes in. That's right. Yeah. One of the researchers on that team, uh, Vivek Shandas, whom I interviewed uh, as a professor at PSU, he, he told me that area is bathed in diesel already. So, um, you know, you're adding more on top of what's already there. Um, it's, uh, you know, there's places in Portland that have very high diesel concentrations, and it's just something that congregates around freeways, around industry, uh, you know, around areas that have a lot of trucks and uh, non-road equipment. 
so, but but it happens uh, that um, communities of color and low-income people tend to live uh, in those areas. So it just impacts them much more than it does other folks. So what else would you hope that people take away from this story? I think there's a few things that I hope people take away. I mean, you know, on the fundamental level, I, I hope that it makes people think about how um, disproportionate uh, the impact of pollution is, that not everybody has the same impact because of where they live. And, you know, if you're poor uh, and you live in Park Rose or Argate Terrace, you don't exactly have the means to say like, oh, I, I don't like this neighborhood anymore. I'm just going to move somewhere else. Mm. Like you're kind of stuck where you are. Um, so, you know, it's 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 something that really impacts people's health. And even though, you know, it may be hard to prove exactly where it's coming from because it's air pollution. It's not a uh, it's not a factory. It's that's, you know, cited in a specific area, a warehouse by itself doesn't produce any emissions. It's the trucks that are attached to it that that come with it that do. Yeah, and I think there's one other piece that you know I don't know that we hit on because this is such a maybe we did. It's been a long day, but um, redlining, you know, which is another byproduct or actually not byproduct, it was baked into city documents um, that played a factor here too, right? That you know a, a lot of the reason that we have such. Um, um, denser minority communities in certain neighborhoods of the city is because they were legally forced out. That's right. So um, minority communities in Portland, especially the black community, they were uh, not allowed into certain neighborhoods and forced out into other neighborhoods. And the neighborhoods where they ended up were then targeted for industrial development. But also um, there was disinvestment, so they didn't get you know, they didn't get trees, they didn't get sidewalks and other nice amenities. Um, so uh, they ended up with a neighborhood that's pretty industrial and, you know, doesn't have uh, trees that uh, uh, give them shade during the hot summers uh, or that sort of thing. So it's it's really something that shaped how neighborhoods look like today. And then, of course, in the Portland area, uh, these neighborhoods have evolved over time. So uh, you know, more uh, low-income people, more immigrants and refugees move into communities that are affordable. And mm -hmm. these communities that are uh, surrounded by pollution, they're not very desirable. And so they're, they tend to be more affordable. And so they're kind of magnets for um, people who can't afford to live anywhere else. And I'm glad you brought up the you know, the lack of tree canopy, because that's something that um, the researcher, the professor you mentioned earlier, uh, Vivek Shandas, uh, he, something he's studied, and I know, and has written about as well. So the, these are heat islands. So this is also a heat island in this part of town. Um, and not only that, to add another layer into this situation, you know, there was a, you know, a store <laughs> that yeah. served the community there. And now that's been gone. And in its place is this, you know, factory that that serves others. Yeah, and and you know, Vivek Shandas was really uh, saying how cities need to do a little more reflection about how they're going to do this development in the future because when you develop um, some uh, an area, that development stays there for you know fifty, seventy, a hundred years. It's not going to go away, uh, even though in a hundred years, you know, our temperatures may be much higher than they are today. And uh, Argate Terrace and Park Rose already are neighborhoods that are sort of part of this arc of heat 
in mm. Portland where temperatures are much, much higher than they are in, you know, the sort of uh, inner uh, Portland neighborhoods that have tons of trees and uh, a nice tree canopy. So, you know, in Park Rose and Argate Terrace, it's predominantly uh, roads, uh, large apartment complexes, uh, and and industry, you know, sort of low buildings, and all of those attract heat and accumulate heat. And so when when there's a heat dome event, or when it's just you know hot during the summer, yeah, then it, the temperatures there can be much much higher than in other parts of Portland. And obviously, putting in another warehouse um, and kind of baking in that that heat uh, for another hundred years is not going to help. No, 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 it's not. Um, well, Gosha. I- Thank you so much for taking time to talk about this story. Is there anything else you'd want to say to listeners just about, you know, obviously you're just getting started again here at the O, but um, just about what kind of stories you're going to be pursuing and how to reach you? I'm hoping to be pursuing more reporting that tells the stories of neighborhoods, of uh, of local people and how they're being impacted by uh, pollution, uh, by uh, climate change, uh, and also by access to green infrastructure, housing, transportation, because we have a tendency uh, to be sustainable in our city and to focus on these efficiencies and sustainability, but they're not always available to everybody. And I think part of my beat, part of environmental justice is looking at who gets access to things. So who gets access to these uh, efficient buildings? Who gets access to um, good, clean, safe water, to the, a wonderful tree canopy, who gets access to healthy food, and who doesn't. And so I welcome readers to uh, email me and contact me with any story ideas that have to do with uh, local communities experiencing uh, pollution burdens and, and also access issues. I'm also hoping to uh, highlight positive stories, uh, uh, solutions in the neighborhoods, uh, you know, how local leaders are building programs for people to gain more access to green jobs, um, how we're building a new types of affordable housing that do have these energy efficiency uh, that can help uh, communities of color, you know, have uh, good air filtration, have, you know, AC in their homes, uh, things that may seem pretty sort of standard, uh, but at the same time, many people don't have access to them. So it's uh, pretty key to write about them. Well, I will share your email in the show notes. And thank you so much for your reporting and for taking time to talk about it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. I shared a link to Gosha's story and her email address if you have any questions or story ideas in the episode notes. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the show and tell a friend. Help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism and stories like this one is with a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.